Accessing archive. Authorizing. Access granted. Accessing file. Hop right into it. I'd, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and, and talk about the projects you're currently working with. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Kaylin Gray. I actually just graduated from Marquette University up in Milwaukee. Um, I am currently the project manager at Gravitas Recordings and the press and licensing coordinator over at Pinwell Agency. I do a couple things on the side as well. Um, I do lead a local street team in Milwaukee called Lex Barton Presents. Also, I do write at a couple blogs such as Festival Squad, Culture, Raver Rafting, etc. Amazing. So much. You're doing a lot. Um, let me ask, before you, you got into your work with Gravitas and Pivotal, which is where I know you from, was your street team prior to that? Yeah, I joined the street team in fall of 2017. That was my first actual introduction into the music industry in itself. Um, when I first joined, it was this cool way, you know, to meet new people, rub some, rub some elbows, and go to free shows. Over time, I realized that I wanted to be more involved in some capacity. So that's how I actually got into writing. I got into writing about a year after in the winter of 2018. And it was a really great way for me to kind of go outside of the local community just because Milwaukee, it's very tight there, but it's also pretty small, especially compared to Chicago, which is about two hours down south. So um, it was a great way to kind of expand my horizons in a way. Awesome. Awesome. I definitely resonate with that because I understand um, being from a, a town with a tight knit culture uh, in the music scene, which San Antonio definitely is, which is where I'm from, and then kind of needing to branch out a bit um, as well, you know, like working with more like nationwide or even worldwide artists um, as someone who kind of helps facilitate music and the things that happen around music, you know, promotion and artwork and music videos and management and touring and all the stuff. So it sounds like, you know, we're we're definitely kind of similar in, in our career path. So um, let me ask, you know, when did you like what what opened up for you that that helped you decide, hey, music is is definitely a, a path I want to take. Um, and, and how old were you and what kind of things would you say were those doors that were opening or those things that were clicking for you that that made that helped you to decide I want to go down this path yeah absolutely so you know my family's always been really encouraging of me they've always said you need to do what you love you shouldn't really be stuck in a job that you regret and so that really resonated with me and when I started doing street team work I was just a normal street team member but that really helped cultivate my passion for working within music and the industry and that's when I when I would think to myself what am I passionate about? What should I, you know, what career should I get into? I always thought, you know, music makes me so passionate, but I know it's so competitive. And also because Milwaukee is so small, I didn't see a ton of upwards growth, if you know what I mean. Um, it, it was a great way to get your foot in the door. But whenever people would say that to me, I would always be a little bit skeptical, especially when I was first starting out and had not, I didn't have a ton of knowledge about the industry. Um, over time, I was working at a supply chain for senior living, and I was doing that as my internships, and I was fully prepared for that to be my full-time job after I graduate. And then one day, I guess I kind of had a snap in judgment. I was thinking, why am I being complacent with not being happy and not pursuing music when I'm honestly not even trying that much? 
And I think a big part of that was just because I would compare myself too much. Um, I always kind of had that um, downfall. I always would compare myself to other people, even though I know that's not very healthy to do. But mm -hmm. I would think to myself, well, there are people who are probably leagues ahead of me who are interning at these like giant corporations. You know, why, why would anyone want to hire me if I don't have any relevant music experience? And then I realized to myself, wow, I'm losing a battle that I never even tried to fight. I wasn't actually, you know, hustling or pursuing anything. So why am I getting so down about myself? It just doesn't make sense. And then I kind of realized there was really nothing to lose by really taking charge, finding your own opportunities. And that's how I actually landed my position at Gravitas. Um, people always say that connections, you, you really need connections in the music industry. And that is 1000% true. However, I landed that job without knowing anybody. And that's also how a lot of our team members actually got affiliated with Pivotal and Gravitas because they sent a cold email or they reached out on Instagram. And that really shows more hustle than you think it does. Because um, really, companies really like when people take initiative, especially if they're not outwardly, you know, saying, we're hiring, you know, please apply. If you reach out and say, hey, I want to help you. I love your company and I would love to be a part of it. It speaks volumes. And that's how I got my job at Gravitas. Amazing. Such an awesome journey. Um, yeah, that sounds very familiar, you know, similar vibes here for sure. Um, for me, it was, you know, I was going to college for business administration and I did end up getting my degree in business administration. But when it came to wanting to go, you know, uh, pursue another degree, like my, my next degree, um, there was a part of me that was just like, you know, why is this really going to help me do the things I want to do? And definitely took some meditating um, on, you know, my future and as well as uh, stumbling into some psychedelic experiences, which I, I talk about a lot on these podcasts that kind of opened my eyes to possibility and also um, the culture that we're a part of here in the United States, where it's very, um, you know, like uh, on this typical this typical kind of like um, path where people, you know, go, go to high school, go to college, get a degree, get married, have a wife, and then, you know, have kids and then just kind of like live that kind of householder path. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But I knew that that it wasn't for me. Um, so let me say, you know, for, for you, did did um, did you have any kind of mind expanding experiences or psychedelic experiences that kind of helped shape that sense for you as well because it sounds like you have like a very good internal compass of like where you want to go and a lot of people don't a lot of people even today being you know i'm almost 30 now i'm 29 um i still know people today in my life that that don't quite yet know where they want to go or what they want to do they're still figuring it out so for you did, did this play any role for you yeah exactly you know and i i love my boyfriend and he is an accountant and i can tell kind of how draining it is at times for him and it really feels surreal to be in the, posi the position i am especially during the coronavirus especially just being a graduate you know i just recently got promoted to project manager and this was amongst all this craziness um especially with people getting you know furloughed or laid off like it's really heartbreaking and i feel so incredibly lucky to be in the position i am um if cards fell in place but I do think I I don't necessarily remember the last time I took psychedelics. I feel like it was well last time I took 
Well, one situation in particular, I remember when I was um, tripping on acid, I do remember, you know, thinking about music and how much it connects us all. And I think that was also a big catapult into, you know, me really looking at it more in depth than I normally did, you know, just because mm-hmm. you listen to music and you love the sounds, you think, you know, you love certain artists, you think it sounds great, but then you don't really look specifically into that culture. And it really made me think about electronic culture in general, which is just, it's so amazing how someone who likes the same artist as you can honestly instantly make you become friends in a way I feel like most other genres, aside maybe like metal and um, psychedelia, but I mean, if someone says, hey, I love, you know, Ariana Grande, people are like, yeah, me too. But like, so does a billion sure. people in the world. Um, sure, electronic sure. has such a tight knit niche to where there's um, a car in my parking lot. And one time I have a Grizz decal on the back of my car. And that person put a note in my car, you know, that said, um, having a Grizz fam in the apartment be hitting different. And like, that just doesn't really happen <laughs> for other genres. Um but yeah, it's really made me kind of open my eyes to the more intricacies within the community and how much it unites them. And that's another, you know, reason why I just love the electronic music community so much is because everyone is so open and, and you know, loving and you have an instant bond almost like instantaneously from knowing you enjoy the same type of sounds that someone else does, which is pretty wild. Yeah, I do totally find that same thing. You know, the music absolutely feels like a... Uh a really big common interest um, and, and something you can talk about endlessly with someone when you discover that, you know, you might like the same artist or the, the same genre or the same band or the same electronic musician. Um, and in fact, I, I made a lot of my best friends of all time um, through music and being fans of the same artists. Um, and that is actually what brought uh, me and uh, a lot of my collaborators um, through my band, Something Fiction, as well as um, our label, Time Wheel, together was our love for certain experimental musicians, you know, Aphex Twin, uh, Nine Inch Nails. These are the type of things I grew up listening to before any psychedelic experience. And then once I had uh, my first few experiences with mushrooms, um, I started delving into the psychedelic electronic music scene. You know, the the, the classic Spangle, you know, was was the, the first one that I kind of got into. And this was still in my college years, um, probably 10 years ago at this point. And then slowly but surely you're you're learning, you know, who who plays with Spangle at these festivals and and you start researching, you know, who, who are the sub headliners, who are the openers. And then all of a sudden this whole world opens up to you whoa there's a lot of music there's a lot of music out here like this and uh, and yet uh, you know it, it could be interconnected by its visionary quality or it could be interconnected by its like deep bass sounds but everyone still has their own angle that they're approaching their own influences their own message that they want to bring um which i find super awesome about music i mean i think music is like art but it's a, a more immersive form of art. And, and I love visual art too. And I think it's just as equal to music and its importance. You know, there would be no, no solid album or no solid single without a solid piece of art to accompany it, to invite you into that world. And I feel like that's a big part of it. Um, so I totally relate with, with, you know, being able to build community and find friends, you know, like through your common music interests. That's super cool. Um, so how has it been working with Gravitas and would you mind explaining to the listeners, you know, what Gravitas is and, and, and how you discovered them and and that type of thing? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Gravitas Recordings is a record label that's based in Austin, Texas. They've been around since about 2011. It was founded by Jesse Breda. Um, they host a bunch of artists such as Closey, Symbionics, Double and Conti Experience. Um, and, you know, it's done a lot within the past nine or so years. They do a lot of charity work as well. Uh, I joined in officially in late April of last year, although I was doing some copywriting for a couple months beforehand and it was more freelance. But I am the, currently the project manager and um, because our teams are so small, I tend to wear a lot of hats. Um, there's about four people. It's Jesse, Alicia, who is the label manager, Selby Dittman, who is the social media manager, and we have a, an in-house video expert named Garrett. But so I kind of do a little bit of everything. I have my toes dipped in a and R. I re I review incoming demos and I do some talent outreach um, if we're looking for anything. And then I also do some marketing related um, inquiries such as creating the one sheets, doing copy for our press releases and other album blurbs, um, just other basic operational things such as keeping track of what projects we're working on, making sure tasks are assigned in our task management software and making sure that things are you know accounted for. Um, other miscellaneous things such as, you know, even converting a wave to an MP3 file or just creating a fan link. So I definitely have toes in everything. Um, currently, I would say my main responsibility is um, relevant to PR press and reaching out to blogs, YouTube channels and playlists. It definitely was not, uh, I feel like, supposed to be as big of a role as it has become. But when they first joined, I kind of had a lot of time on my hands. It was a new project that I was excited to get the ball rolling on. Um, Gravitas never really had an in-house press person in the past. They'd usually hired an outside PR firm. And, you know, PR firms are pretty expensive at times. And having it in-house just seemed much more cost-effective. So I really took that project on. It was also pretty relevant to me since I am a PR major. I graduated with a major in public relations with minors in advertising and human resources. But um, I only took really one class at my at my university that kind of was relevant to that, if you would say. Mm -hmm. um, we took it was called PR writing, and we did you know we drafted pitches and we kind of role played calling a journalist um and that was yeah that was really great i think the one downfall though with that and in regards to what i'm doing now is just because that pitching in mainstream media is a lot different than electronic media um mm. if you call journalists at you know the new york times it's not really a big deal they probably get calls all the time they probably have a work phone but if you call someone from the electronic music industry who's a writer on the phone they'll be like how did you get my number this is weird <laughs> so it's definitely that was definitely my biggest challenge when i first started was just because everything i looked up online all the advice i was trying to see it wasn't exactly relevant to the niche that um we currently are in um so a lot of the things i did was self-taught but i've been doing it for some time now they um pivotal and gravitas are sister companies so that's how i got onboarded onto pivotal um, mm -hmm. It's mostly the same people, but we have other agents and managers over at Pivotal. We have Cole, Anad, Sam, Koshi. They're all great. Um, and so I do the press over there um, more as well, like their in-house press person. I did a couple freelance campaigns for their artists, such as you know management clients like Megan Hamilton, Jack London, Cloud Cord. Um, and then I'm kind of expanding a bit more into more live events. Not that any are happening right now, but. I helped a bit with the Blue Tech tour, um, a bit with the Jack London tour when he was still 
touring for his Thoughts album. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm currently getting more involved in licensing at Pivotal as well. Um, that's still something that hasn't been fully fleshed out yet, um, just because publishing and licensing is a very daunting and intricate task. So, yeah. you know, we're all still learning. Even, you know, some of us who have been in the music industry for years, they're still pretty, you know, pretty fuzzy on what publishing intricacies there are. But that is also something that um, I'm hoping to grow more into. So right now I'm doing kind of things like making sure songs are registered. And um, I think in the long run, they would like me to have more of a role in sync licensing. If you're, Are you familiar with sync licensing? Uh, a little, but go ahead and uh, enlighten us. <laughs> yeah, it's basically, um, I mean, I, I feel like an example is the easiest way to put it. But, you know, if you hear a really popular song and it's played on your favorite TV show, um, yeah. that's basically sync licensing because you're licensing your music and it's syncing the audio up to like a visual. So if you see mm-hmm. a commercial with, you know, a song, uh, I know Bulk and Bump and Grammatics Amo, it was on a Porsche commercial during the Super Bowl. That's sync licensing. Oh, wow. A lot yeah. of, yeah, a, a lot of sync licensing deals make huge money. It's, it's honestly insane. Um, mm-hmm. And there are a lot of companies specifically designated to that. But so I'm definitely not expecting to, you know, full, you know, full blast into sync licensing just because it's, it's a lot, but maybe mm-hmm. doing some pitching here and there and helping out where we can just because admittedly PR and press, although it's, you know, it's great for branding, it doesn't bring in a whole lot of money. So it's a great way to kind of, you know, contribute to the business in that sense. Wow. Okay. I'd like to talk a little bit about sync licensing, but I do want to say um, on your PR outreach i will say you know you're you've been one of the most pleasant people to work with um, that has you know reached out to us we get a lot of submissions and we get a lot of uh you know artists themselves reaching out um and also sometimes um publicists or pr agents but just want to say you, you do an incredible job um super easy to talk to super informative love your words your write-ups uh your epks and everything so uh yeah, just want to give you some props there. Great work. Um, I really appreciate that. It's uh, it's interesting just because, you know, I I love PR. I love the people I've met from it. Um, I really do feel like it's been the best way for me to kind of enter the industry, if that makes sense. Um, because although mm-hmm. I was doing things outside of, you know, such a street team stuff and writing, I really didn't network that much. And I feel like it's been a great way to kind of expand my horizons, meet new people, form new connections. And it's, I don't know, I just really love the people that I've met through this opportunity. Absolutely. I can imagine. Um, So when it comes to sync licensing, because I'm also a video editor and I work with a number of brands and we end up getting music and commercials, there seems to be two big angles uh, of how people go about it these days. And one is finding copyright-free, royalty-free stock, stock usage music Mm -hmm. and and then there is you know finding an artist um and then actually like talking to that artist manager talking to that artist in particular and then kind of coming into an agreement with some type of deal now obviously i think you know going and talking with the artist or that manager is gonna um, bring a lot more uh, money into uh that musician's career um but at the same time, it's just as easy to go kind of find a similar vibe through this royalty-free, you know, audio jungle stuff that exists. So what would you say is like the pros and cons of both? And 
obviously helping artists, uh, you know, sustain their self, you know, because we know that it's definitely trying times for artists right now is one big pro for, um, for, you know, artists and, and, and management agencies working directly with people doing commercials and, you know, this type of thing. Um, but, but what are the cons and, and where do you see us kind of going? Um, you know, because there has to be a way to sustain musicians, you know, streams don't do it. People can get a million streams and end up, you know, maybe paying their bills for a month or something. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not as successful and lucrative as it used to be with the current paradigm. Um, so I'm just curious on on your views on sync licensing and, and just in general, like how can artists be supported these days? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely kind of harder for me to touch on it just because I'm still relatively new into the space, but I mean, sure, you can always find, you know, royalty-free images, you can find royalty-free music, um, but I feel like maybe maybe one of the cons would just be that it's available to everyone, and potentially it might not fit the exact vibe you're looking for. If you're, you know, looking to sync license and, you know, pay money, you're theoretically looking for the exact 1,000% perfect match, and that's why a lot of sync deals are kind of harder to come by, just because music supervisors are very selective on what they want. Maybe... They want someone with lyrics who's actually telling the story of, you know, what's going on in the commercial. And I don't know many royalty-free music can can actually convey, you know, that type of story that would perfectly match what they have in mind. But, I mean, it's all up to preference. I feel like a lot of music supervisors, if they work at a big enough company, they have the budget to afford it and to really make sure that it's the absolute perfect that it can be. Um, also, it's available to anyone, so I feel like, Sometimes royalty-free music, you can kind of tell if it's been recycled a lot, and maybe they just want to find something a bit more unique. But I mean, it's definitely right. a tricky—it's a tricky game to play. Um, similar to PR, a lot of um, it is relationship-based, so that's still something I'm still trying to dip my toes more into and getting more in front of different music supervisors of different companies. But um, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it's yeah, there's not really. I feel like a set in stone rule or like a set in stone type of like expectation on when you should and when you shouldn't. But Mm -hmm. it really does depend on what you think is, you know, the best, the best fit for what you want to convey your story on screen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But uh, I feel like it's a bit different from like, you know, for example, a YouTube video or that type of vlog versus a commercial or a TV show. For YouTube, right. they have, you know, copyright claims. So one time um, this person inquired within Gravitas and was like, hey, could we use Axel Deslift's remix of Closey's um, tract in our, you know, Indonesia trip? And I said, yeah, sure. However, if you do choose to monetize the video, the money will go directly to Closey. So that way they didn't really have to, you know, they really didn't have to ask if they wanted to use it since they wouldn't be monetizing it. Um, the way that YouTube's copyright system works is it will automatically, like, pinpoint the the track and then it'll be distributed of your royalties so Mm. yeah so it's a bit different um where they don't necessarily need permission um unless you know people could always do a copyright strike but um generally speaking if the label is pretty chill you know you might not even know about it otherwise Mm -hmm. tv shows you know commercials and movies um, that's a lot different. I feel like if you have a close enough relationship with the artist to where you guys are homies, you know, feel free to just be like, hey, can could we do this? And maybe they'll open a manager. If you don't have a relationship, I would say reaching out to the manager or the label itself is the best bet. If it's released independently, the manager is probably the go-to just because they handle more of the business aspect. They can help negotiate 
um, right. and make sure you get the best deal for yourself because you never know if you know there's something shady like this is exclusive to us. You can never do it with any other partner and it's not worth that much money. A lot of the um, deals do tend to be non-exclusive, which is great because then you know you, you can circulate your music even more places. And something that's really positive about sync licensing versus you know press, for example, is that it really doesn't have to be super timely. Um, a song from 10 years ago, if it fits, it fits. And it could be, you know, you could use that instead of, you know, press, I feel like, people normally will only write about something that's released within perhaps last month or so. And that's why campaigns tend to end shortly after release, just because, you know, it's almost old news at that point where sync licensing, it really anything goes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. That's awesome. That's it seems like a much more uh, a route of much more longevity, um, being able to, to shop your music around, or at least, you know, a manager shop the music of an artist they're managing around to yeah, brands and stuff. They're like, hey, you know, I'm a big fan of your brand. I notice our music uh, aligns with the vibes I've seen in your past commercials, your past social posts, so on and so forth. I think that's something that people should really consider because, as I was saying earlier, um, it, you know, it's hard times for music right now. I know that uh, people, you know, that you know, we're speaking in the quarantine age. Just for people, if you hear this later and everything's back to normal, which I hope you know happens. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah um most musicians get their money from touring from shows from merchandise t-shirts you know vinyls cds uh freaking um what are they called usb drives you know full of your discography you know support on Bandcamp. uh maybe you get lucky and get a spotify hit and make some money that type of thing um how how can artists you know just thinking outside of the box and i'm sure you've gotten some some insight in your meetings and stuff, you know, how can artists adapt right now? Because it's, it's, it's a big time. It's a, and uh, people don't want to stop doing what they love. You know what I mean? It's like, I know that the money is maybe drying up right now with, with local musicians, people can't go, you know, play a show and make 200 bucks or whatever it is the way that they could just two months ago, three months ago. And um, yeah, like what do you what have you seen and what do you suggest maybe um you know having been in this field for a while that that artists do right now to make the most of this time? Yeah, that's a good question and honestly it's something that you know all of our team is still figuring out along with you know probably so many agencies around the world. Um it's really tricky and you know everyone's flocking to live streams right now which totally makes sense, but it has become to the point where it's really hard to kind of stand out and you know actually make an income from that just because a lot of things are donation based. Um, I do think right. this this might be more of a long term type of reward, but the way I've personally been adapting is I've been taking the time to kind of expand my network even more. Um, since everyone's home, this is a great time to reach out to people you've never spoken to before or you've always admired from afar, but were intimidated to you know have a conversation with. Just because everyone's at home right now. No one's, you know, mm -hmm. running frantically around a venue trying to, you know, find a writer for people. Um, no right. one's really touring or traveling right now. Everyone is in the same boat to where they're scared. They're, they're in their apartment or their house and they just want to, you know, find a way to get to the end of the tunnel. So I think something that I've been doing that a lot of other people should really take advantage of as well is reach out to people. Um, you never know what could happen down the line. And also, it's just a great way to in a way, alleviate like yourself from kind of, if you're quarantined alone, like kind of the loneliness that you have. But 
Um, I've been doing that a lot. I've been, that's how we actually had our first conversation, you and me, Matt. I thought, you know, me and Matt, we've been corresponding for quite a while, but we've never actually spoken to each other, you know, verbally. So I reached out and I said, hey, I would love to, you know, jump on a call with you and learn more about you and to talk and see how you've been doing and see if you've been, you know, holding up all right. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this definitely isn't, you know, a way to make instant income by no means. And you shouldn't really look at it that way either. Um, but you really never know what could be, you know, productive. I, I do view it as productive, though, just because you're bettering yourself, you're challenging yourself. If you're more of an introvert, you're, you know, you're challenging yourself to go out of your comfort zone and meet these people that you might not be, you know, comfortable with in normal day life. And right, right. having connections in the music industry is huge. So you really should not undervalue, you know, undervalue the importance of networking, especially during this time. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I do find the music industry to be heavily network based. Uh, it's funny. It's almost like um, it's almost like this this legal drug cartel. <laughs> <laughs> it's so small. Like you really don't realize until you know two people at the end of the world are like, "Oh yeah, I know him." <laughs> right. It's funny. It's like because honestly, you know, um, yeah, music is a drug. I'm just saying, you know, and and not in the sense that it's gonna like technically alter your consciousness like while you're driving and all of a sudden you can't drive you know but it's like um i feel like it's this product that everyone can appreciate everyone can enjoy when it's loud it's better you know um it also just gives you euphoria you know exactly that too so that's the that's what i mean when i say it's like this this legal drug cartels it's like everyone has <laughs> like that they have their little product and, and they're trying to sling it to a thousand people a night you know what i mean it's, <laughs> it's just so, so funny um, and then every, everyone behind the scenes is like the, the logistics i'm just joking around but yeah, it's at the cult um, of res <laughs> very, it's <laughs> exactly. a very real thing <laughs> oh for sure for sure that's too funny um yeah so while you were talking on that a few ideas popped into my head just about what people can do maybe these days. Um, these are kind of more self-generated, but uh, what do you know about Patreon? I know a fair amount about Patreon. I actually knew about it for a while just because I watch of different YouTubers online and that's a pretty common platform that people have. Um, yeah. I've always associated it more with YouTube and then eventually I started seeing more musicians going on it. Um, Desert Dwellers, one of our pivotal clients there on Patreon. I believe Beats Antique is also on mm -hmm. Patreon. Um, yeah. I know you have different tiers on what people, you know, what people would like, such as tier one, it's just merely, you know, merely support. Uh, tier two could be you get a free shirt. Tier three, mm -hmm. you could, you know, get tickets to a show and stuff like that. I feel like it's a great way to really, you know, make more of a close-knit community. It's kind of like a Facebook group, but, you know, yeah. there are, it's a way to support your favorite artists in a way that, you know, a like on status probably you know can't right i agree and it's only two or three bucks i mean you can give more but i, I think most artists have a, a low in tier you know it's, it's right. two three five bucks and for you to be able you know like i feel like people should really appreciate music in these days maybe more than we used to when when i, when I was growing up if you liked you know a band nine inch nails for example trent reznor Big inspiration for me, super dope guy. Um, it, all his words, all his tones that he's created, and his artwork too, 
has been top notch from from the beginning, at least in my opinion. Anyway, so to support Nine Inch Nails, the artist, I knew it was important to support uh, the musicians that you like. I would buy every new shirt. I would buy every new album. Um, I would go to the Hot Topic and, and you know, <laughs> when, when my mom takes me to, to the mall and I would look, is there a new Nine Inch Nails shirt I want to support, but I also want to be the dude repping the Freshest Nin shirt, you know? <laughs> and um, also, you know, the albums themselves, you know, they, they get probably, you know, 30% of that that album cost or, or whatever it is, you know, once it's all said and done through a, a major record label. So today instead of you know them getting those three bucks of the ten dollars of the album uh just send them three bucks in patreon and just send it to them monthly you know what i mean i feel like that's an easy thing to do and it's an easy thing for artists to do and i don't know why you wouldn't do it i feel like some people maybe are opposed to donation culture um maybe they feel like cyber begging or something like that you know but i don't i don't see it that way especially knowing the trying times musicians are facing right now and this is from the from the the guy just starting in his bedroom to to the massively successful artist right now everyone is experiencing a drought so to speak and i think patreon is something that i as a another you know person that's founded a label we're a much more indie label i think than than gravitas who who has uh, had much more success um with bigger artists and that type of thing but I'm I'm encouraging the artists of Time Wheel to start Patreons because I think that why not you know as long as it, there's no moral uh, quandaries there for you um, I think you know if you get ten people to donate you five bucks you know that helps you know and and over time it'll scale up if you keep releasing if you keep dropping new stuff making exclusive things um, for that Patreon community that uh, you can end up making a, a 500 or $1,000 a month. And, and who doesn't want that? You know what I mean? As long as you put in a little bit of the elbow grease and, and, and make, it, make it happen. I, I feel like if someone was to ask me, hey, would you consider donating to my Patreon to support you know, my art or my music? I would, I'd be like, yes, I will. You know, it's two, three bucks. You know what I mean? What is that? A cup of coffee at Starbucks and I get to support someone living their dream? I mean, for me, it's an easy yes. Um, I think everyone's maybe different, though. Like in your experience, did, ha, has that been tossed around a lot about you know getting artists on Patreon, or is it kind of still a newer thing? It's still relatively newer. Um, out of all of our clients, I think the Sand Desert Brothers are the only ones who are actually you know actively using it. Uh, I think one of the stipulations is that it can be a major commitment at times, just because you know in a way you're advertising more exclusive content and access, and you want to be able to deliver that. So I think that might be maybe more of a reason people are more hesitant to just go on it just because it's, you don't know if you have the time to do that. Um, but, you know, as you said before, yeah, I definitely feel like no, no matter what you do, people will have a reason to be upset about it. You know, like you said, cyber begging, um, as long as you're not, you know, making people feel guilty or, you know, bad or shame them in a way for not giving you money. Like that's the total other league, but you know, mm -hmm. it's much different to say, Hey, I have this Patreon. If you would like to support me, and support what I'm doing, you can go here. And if you, you know, if you want to donate a higher, a higher amount out of the goodness of your heart, we will give you, you know, something to, you know, compensate you for that, you know, we'll, like, uh, we'll give you a shirt, or we'll do this just right. to give you our thanks for helping us out during this time. Um, another great way, maybe if you don't want to, because I don't know if Patreon does that thing where it's more monthly, or if you can do one time donations, but another place that you could do donations is Bandcamp. Um, I feel yeah. like Bandcamp is a bit um, 
a bit overlooked in a way within streaming just because Spotify and SoundCloud are so huge. Um, but Bandcamp is also a great way to kind of discover new music and you can actually get downloads from different music. All of our releases on Gravitas is absolutely free on Bandcamp, so you can download it for free. But we do have a donation option, and it's almost crazy um, to see how many people are will go out of their way to you know donate to the music that you're putting out. Um, I do think that the pay what you want method is very you know it's it's kind of overlooked as well. I feel like people are more generous than you give them credit for at times, and mm-hmm. it's absolutely it's absolutely insane and. Bandcamp has been doing a couple days where all of the donations on that day will go directly to the artist. Usually they take a bit of a fee, but on those days, you know, donations just explode and it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And yep. even if you do cop, you know, a release for free, you're still helping us out just because, you know, typically I don't know if other, you know, our artists do this, but to get the free download, you just have to input your email address and that's a great way to kind of get on our email list and, you know, that also helps us out and benefits us in the long run. So, you know, you never really know. And there's so many ways to support an artist that may be just overlooked, whether it be a follow on Twitter or, you know, Mm -hmm. like a shout out on Instagram. Like there's so many ways. And even if you don't have the money, but you still want to support other people, there are ways to do that as well. So it's definitely, it's definitely a hard time, but, you know, I, I really appreciate how, I've seen so many statuses of so many people just saying, how can I help you guys? Or I'll see so many articles of so many articles reading, you know, 10 ways to help our artists during the pandemic that like don't require you to spend money. That's a very long title and that's not verbatim, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, 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 no, I know what you mean for sure. Um, another idea that just popped in my mind on, on what artists can do right now is maybe tutorials, you know, imagine, imagine getting a tutorial from an artist that you love, even if it costs a few hundred bucks, you know, but you get to learn, you know, the inner workings of how they maybe make a really fresh sound or a really cool dynamic in their music. You know, I've seen a number of artists that uh, I'm fans of offering tutorials, um, during this time. And I can see that as a massive uh, service, you know, that, that really can't be overlooked as well as, um, just, um, there's so tutorials. There's coaching as well. A lot of people are doing more coaching for, you know, like Ableton and whatnot. Yes, that exactly, exactly. And, um, and also mastering services, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're a dude that, you know, is, is really proficient at mastering and making that, that final polish on a track or a mix sound, incredible you know maybe open up your studio for some mastering gigs during this time um because i certainly know that that has a value and definitely a few hundred dollars in value if you're if you're good and i don't know it's better to me than these like uh these services i don't want to call any service out in particular but where they have like ai master your track for 20 bucks you know what i mean it's like i get that i mean that's an interesting innovation but I feel like you really need a human ear and a human mind and someone with reference points um, of, of maybe work they've done or, or work they've done for other people as to where things should sit in a mix. So I don't know. I, I would much rather have a human mastering my music than an AI personally. Um, so that's just another thing that maybe artists could consider doing during this time, you know, mastering tutorials, coaching, license uh, sync licensing deals you know maybe out with outreach uh, independently or if you're lucky enough to have an awesome agent like kaylin you know um they could do it for you that type of thing so 
you know, what is your kind of goal? You know, like what has been your vision for for joining um, the visionary music community, and where do you hope to go? And you know, what does your future life look like? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like my you know, my long term, where do you see yourself in five, 10 years has drastically changed so much in the past couple of years. For a long time, I wanted to be a journalist, then I wanted to be, you know, like a hiring manager at like, be in HR. And that's why I made minored in HR. And then I decided to get to music. And, you know, I feel like I'm still dipping my toes in everything, I would love to kind of experience everything in some capacity. Um, but right now, I do love doing PR. However, I don't I kind of want to not make that my primary focus. Uh, I would love to kind of have a bunch of different roles instead of just rely on that. But mm -hmm, I do mm -hmm. think, you know, I love being on the label side of things. And I, I would be interested in dipping my toes and maybe management or booking one day. I don't know if I'm ready to, you know, take on that right now. But it's kind of hard to tell. I'm pretty fluid. I'm pretty flexible. It's really nice that our teams are so small, too, just because you're not really set in stone in like a specific role. You can learn almost anything. And um, something that I'm going to get more ramped up with at Pivotal is I'm going to help more with, you know, community management and such. So it's really nice not having, you know, a set in stone box that you have to, you know, only operate out of with your role. Um, the, you know, my boss are the founders, so they can kind of do whatever they want. They can, you know, allow me to do something if they think it'll be, you know, instrumental to my growth and really help the company out. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, so down the line, it's kind of hard to say just because things, you know, move so quickly, but yeah. I am definitely interested in, you know, pursuing more of like a manager agent type of, you know, experience. I wouldn't say role in a way, but I'd love to, you know, help out in that type of capacity mm -hmm. and see what the inner workings are. Right. Can you see yourself on the road, you know, in a tour bus? <laughs> um, well, I always wanted to kind of live van life, but I have two pet chinchillas and I could not, <laughs> I could not leave them alone. It's like having kids in a way to me at least. Yep. Um, no, I know. Yeah. I have a dog. Uh, they're a so dependent. Dog. Yeah. They yeah, live in like and... a huge cage and they can die mm -hmm. from almost anything, <laughs> even if it's, you know, over 75 degrees. It, they, oh, wow. they'll get heat stroke so yeah they cannot do van life but right right and they live forever so <laughs> <laughs> yeah how long how long do they live? um they can live they can live from like 10 years to 20 years oh, and wow. my babies are almost three so i got them for a long time <laughs> yeah you do you do wow. but i love them that's cool do you have any other animals um, my, I mean, my family's always had dogs. It's actually kind of funny just because before, up until I was nine years old, I was terrified of dogs. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden my grandma was like, I'm going to get a dog for you. And I just was, you know, shaking in my boots saying, you know, please yeah. don't get a dog. I'm so scared of dogs. Please don't. But they did anyways. And mm -hmm. that's actually how I ended up, you know, loving dogs just because, um, the one that we did get when I was nine kind of helped me override my fear and we still have her. Uh, she's my mom's dog now. And our family still has them, but not me and my boyfriend don't. Um, our apartment's mm -hmm. way too small. It's like 347 square feet. So mm -hmm. it's not very ideal for, you know, a dog to live here. Sure, sure. Yeah, I get that. Actually, same here um, when it came comes to dogs. I remember I was bit uh, when I was probably like five or six years old. Oh. Pretty, pretty rowdy in my like upper abdomen area i was like reaching down to say hi to the dog and oh. it jumped up and bit my 
like top ab or whatever, you know, aggressively. And, yeah. And, and since then I was pretty afraid of dogs, but, uh, uh, my mom got one and then I was, it was a poodle. I mean, super nice, super easygoing. And, um, I learned to love them again. And, you know, now I have my little Frenchie and he's definitely been a challenge because they have their, they say that they're big dogs and small dog bodies. And I definitely <laughs> get that sense because he thinks he owns the, the house, you know, it's his place. So he's always checking in on everyone. And if anyone comes in, he's got to, he's got to be there. You know what I, I mean? mean? It's his Make, world. You're just living in it. <laughs> I know. That's so funny. Animals are awesome. Well, I just want to thank you again, Kaylin, so much for your time today and your insight and for all the work you're doing. You know, again, you're always a pleasure to work with and um, you're you're doing great things. So I wish you the best in your journey and uh, yeah, just keep kicking ass. And again, thanks for joining the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast and, you know, definitely keep in touch. I love always talking to you. You've been absolutely amazing to work with as well. Thank you so much. All right. You have a good day. Thanks. You too.